This is my church. My wife and I uh, are a part of this whenever I'm not at another church or traveling on the road. This is our church, and you are my pastor and first lady, and uh, we are delighted and grateful for that. Several years ago, probably almost 30, was a thing called Promise Keepers, and I don't know if it happened before that, but Promise Keepers made a big deal about October being the, the month that you would really encourage and uh, express an appreciation to your pastor. And if you haven't done that yet, I'd really encourage you to do that. Pastor Zach and Brit- Brittany, it's very important to encourage them. Oftentimes, we go and we just assume that they're good. But they, the even Scripture says, share with those who teach you. And so, Pastor Carrie and Melissa, thank you. Uh, your blessing to Tammy and I. And we're delighted to be here under your leadership. This morning, as we uh, tackle um, a tough subject, uh, it, it, it's uh, one of those things where... Um, it's it's deep to me because uh, if you were here last week, you got to you got really transparent. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I, I, and then when you let the, the some of the freshmen and sophomore like stay in here, it's like, oh man, I got to change my language. And um, I I will be transparent with you in my own journey. My own journey is one of pain and heartache. I wish I could have just read a book and learned about this matter, and yet I still have not found this particular issue in any written form. It's got to be out there because it's a truth that's been there ever since the Scriptures were written. But my journey to discover it was painful and hard. Uh, and so this morning, uh, I share with you, it's, it had become what I used uh, in my own repertoire of keeping track of things, my premarital counseling sex talk. <laughs> And so uh, I, I've tweaked it to put it into a sermon, but this has been given to many, many couples that sat across my desk as I prepared them for a healthy and the gift of sex and a healthy relationship by starting by the grace of God to wash and cleanse from the tragedy that Satan causes through brokenness. Satan likes to break people and captivate people, and it happens often through the misunderstanding of sexual encounter. So I need, I need to pray. I know we've prayed repeatedly. Feel free to listen in. i got to talk to Jesus for a second. Hey, Jesus, uh, thanks for dragging me through with me through it. When I chose to go through the mud, thanks for, for staying with me through that. You know my heart and mind and the pains that my own decisions have caused me, and yet you're faithful. It it really leaves me speechless. Your grace is bigger than any sin. You call us and you redeem us. So, Father, as I stand before your people, I'm humbled to be able to share your word with them and and really call on the Holy Spirit to translate every word from my mouth that the Holy Spirit would allow the listener to hear what you need to say to them and not get caught up or captivated or distracted by me or anything else, but that they would hear you speak. I'm so aware 
that we live in a culture that no longer calls perversion perversion, but they call it entertainment. They call it fun. They call it just life. And so it's, it's not a conviction, although I ask that you lead us there. It's, it's not for us to feel any worse than we are. It's really a revelation of your grace that abounds in spite of those things, that you would restore to us an understanding of your gift of sex. In Jesus' name, amen. Early in life, I was studying at St. Paul Bible College up in Minnesota. I worked at a machine shop, and, uh, and that studying, uh, like first or second day there, as I was at my station, and I can't even remember which station it was, but I was working there, and I see out of my peripheral vision the boss turn the corner and be marching across the shop towards me, and I'm thinking, oh, great, it's only like the second day. You know, you're wondering what's wrong, and he stops at my station and confronts me face up, and he goes, do you know why I hate God? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and he said, because God hates sex. And it was one of those incredible moments when the Holy Spirit just kind of gives you an answer, and you go like, i got to write that down later. But I turned and said, who told you that? They said, well, everybody knows that. And I said, what the very first part of the Bible, the very command God gives to Adam and Eve is to go multiply. He commanded them to have sex, so I don't understand where you're coming from. The countenance of his face changed with a puzzled look, and he turned and marched back to his office. That began the journey of leading him to discover Christ. I didn't get to have the journey long enough to know if he ever really crossed that line, but he was certainly growing. I want to review very quickly with what uh, Pastor Kerry has covered, uh, and so let's just start our slides here. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 says that although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, verses 25 and 26 emphasizes that fact that they exchanged. It was their choice. They could have worshipped the God. They could have given. They could have acknowledged. And yet, we live in a world that confuses us often, and we expect this emotional response. And so, they, they didn't cling to truth or stay to truth. They exchanged that truth. And what happens in this capacity is God will not force himself. That's not love. Satan will always force his way in, trick his way in, deceive his way in, but our God who loves us will always give us the invitation and invite us in. And what happens in that scenario is that we get tricked and we get deceived and God gives us what we want. Next slide, Verses 28 and 29, we see the acknowledgement that he gave them over. The next slide, 
we really end up with a great statement that Pastor Kerry gave us. We either worship God and find our ultimate intimacy that's in a relationship with Jesus or we exchange the worship of God for something or someone else. God, therefore, gives us over to our own illicit desires of sin. That's a recap of where we've been and where we're going to go this morning. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 4. The journey, I probably should tell you the story of, of like, how did I get here? How did I learn this? You know that in John chapter 8, it teaches that the truth sets free. Lies bring bondage, and truth sets free. And, and when Pastor Kerry was doing the series through 1 John 4, it was such a beautiful time. He spent two or three weeks there on spiritual warfare and bondage, but the greater is he who is in us and is in the world, but we should test everything. And that whole series of truth and lie, what goes on in your head, you can be a believer and still have a lie in your head. In fact, the majority of deliverance that I've been a part of has been believers who had some lie in their head. And there can be a demonic work or an evil spirit that can, can captivate, but if there is not a lie that is exposed and removed by the truth, it just continues to be a door that is open to be tormented by them. And the key word is torment. If you find you, yourself or someone who is being tormented, you need to start looking for the truth to deliver that and push out that lie. Here's my journey. Came to Christ when I was four years old. My mom and dad were part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Fremont, Nebraska. They loved Jesus, and if the church doors were open, we were there. If there was a snowstorm and a blizzard and everyone else who only lived a few blocks from the church, but we were 10 miles from the church, we were there. We were just there because the church was church, and that's what we did. And so I grew up in a very committed home. My dad was one of the elders in the church for years. At four years old, I remember having family devotions one evening, and my older sisters, I have two older sisters and two younger, a sister and a brother, but I'm, I'm the middle child, can you tell? So they were asking questions about the devotion, which happened to be on heaven and hell, and my sisters were asking questions about hell, and, and as I'm listening there as a four-year-old, I'm thinking, I sure don't want that. What do I got to do? And out of the simplicity of a four-year-old, I asked and invited Jesus into my heart, and I got to tell you, it was real at that moment, but as I grew in knowledge and cognitive capacity to, to do this, I continued to grow in my faith and learn in my faith, but here's, what, here's why I'm saying this, is because I love Jesus forever since I can remember, but here's something tragic that happened as a junior high. Went out for track, and I don't know if you've ever run track or not. Track sucks. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> it was a dumb decision. I got shin splints. I don't know if you know what shin splints are, but they are painful. It's where the ligaments start tearing across the bone, the bone starts to shatter, and then every step, every movement of your foot rubs, and it just, it just, it hurts. It was bad. I could hardly even walk, but I was a long-distance runner, so, of course, you keep running. So I went to my dad, and I said, I, I, I'm in pain. I can't do this. I got to quit track. And he turned to me, and as he was a stern man, <laughs> Gilmores are not quitters. I was like, oh. So for another two months, I ran track with shin splints. That was before they had the knowledge that you didn't let people do that. You just work, walk it off. <laughs> 
Oh, man. So in all that pain, here's, here's the point of that. Now, I know that my father loved me, but here's how Satan uses an event like that. Satan uses the event to say he doesn't love you and nobody loves you. And I can remember going into the haymow of our barn and my dog, Peanuts, Beagle Bassett Mix, little mutt, and, and telling Peanuts that nobody loved me and weeping in the barn by myself. They're all alone saying, ah, life sucks. Why? the interpretation. It's not really true, but it was at that moment where I accepted a lie about who I am, about who my dad is, about everybody around me. It was very near that time where Satan decided to introduce something that would always love me. As all good elder kids do and pastor kids, we babysit when the adults want to have a conversation. And so we went at the house of one of the people in the church at the choir, and there was a meal of probably, I don't know, six or eight couples, and I was one of the older ones, and everything else was probably seven and under. And they're like, yeah, David, take the kids to the basement and take care of them. I'm like, what am I going to do with all these kids? Some of you know what, you've been there. So I'm in the basement, and they're like, let's play hide and seek. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a plan. You all go hide, and I won't try to seek. But... (laughs) But we did that, and then it was my turn to hide, and so I went into the closet, and in this closet is where I ended up spending the majority of my night, because that was a good hiding place, because there was a stack of Playboy magazines there, and introduced to my naiveness and in my loneliness, something that said, I will always love you, and I will never leave you. Is that true? But if you accept that as truth, it became a 10-year nightmare, a secret, secret secrecy brings bondage. So I, what I have to say to you today isn't because I'm ignorant. I lived this out. I had to figure it out by myself. A lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of loneliness, a lot of failure. In college, I finally went to my homiletics teacher. I'm studying to be a pastor. This is still an issue in my life. I'm like, I got to get, I got to over this. Grow up. Just read the Scripture more. Just pray more. Those are stupid answers. It's not that the Bible isn't helpful, and it's not that prayer isn't helpful, but that doesn't solve it. That won't make it go away. And what I intend to tell you this morning is the heart of the key to Satan captivating and moving the power and the authority of the church. He has killed American church because of this. He has killed men and women from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because of this. Here's what I want you to hear from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You ever just wondered, what, the, what is the will of God, right? I have glasses, and I need them. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but whenever I… I this is one of my observations. Whenever I preach about sex… It gets really quiet, and no one wants to move. Oh, I hope he doesn't see me. Mm, I got to really itch my nose, but he might think I raised my hand. Okay, you with me? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 3. For this is the will of God. You ever wanted to know what God's will is for you? There it is. It's in writing just for you. For this is the will of God. What is it? Finish the verse. 
your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passionate lust like Gentiles who do not know God. It's like, oh, I could have just stopped with knowing the will of God, but you had to go there. Lust, sex. Let me just say something very clear up front. Sexual immorality is not about sex. It's about love and the longing to be loved and the longing to express love. And we've bought into the lie that it's about the act of sex. Truth sets free, lies bring bondage, so you've got to hang in there with me. Let's start with the first big word there. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, let me just explain briefly about sanctification. In case that's not a word you actually use throughout your life, I know it, and I don't really use it. So let's just illustrate it for a moment. How many of you brushed your teeth this morning? How many of you just raised your hand hoping we wouldn't really check that out? <clears throat> You're probably sitting by yourself. <sighs> we brush our teeth regularly. So I need to tell you, and I'll, I'll use the word this way, my toothbrush is sanctified. I only use it on my mouth and nothing else. It is separated from cleaning the bathroom toilet, tub, <laughs> shoes. It's not used for anything else. That toothbrush is sanctified. It is separated from all other use. It is only given for me, for my mouth. I even kind of cringe if somebody else wants to use it. In fact, I'll look for a new one if they do. You understand the word sanctified? You, this is the will of God. You are sanctified. You are his toothbrush. Therefore, avoid sexual immorality. He doesn't want that, put that toothbrush back in his mouth if it's gone out into the world and just done what it wanted to do and used where it wants to be used. It has become defiled, and it has to go back to the cross and back to the blood, and he can drop it in boiling water and purge it or sanctify it, clean it. It, is, it isn't throw out. He doesn't throw it out, but when he comes back, he makes sure that he purges it and cleans it, and I'm not going to put a toothbrush in my mouth and just clean the toilet. I'm going to make sure, if I don't have a new one, but I'm going to boil that thing in water for a good two days. Here, listen, let's, let's finish the rest of the text because there's also hope here. We were in verse 5. It says, not in the passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses or, transgresses or wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. The Lord is an avenger in these things. This is a verse for those who have unwillingly been taken advantage of and molested. I want you to understand that this text is talking about sexual purity. This text is telling you, you can be encouraged because somebody who took advantage of you, the Lord is an avenger, and they will not walk away from that. They will pay a price. I hope that that can bring some level of comfort to you. I hope that you can somehow capture the fact that, yes, someone violated you, and yet God doesn't declare you stained, unused, unworthy. It is still His blood, His power, His grace, His redeeming work. We're going to get to that in a bit, but let's finish this text. He's an avenger in these things. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity but holiness. No, here's, here's verse 8. Listen, this is, this is the point. This is the crux of it. Therefore, whoever 
disregards this, disregards man. But God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you, they don't are they're not disrespecting man, they're disrespecting God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. This is a clue to what's happening with the essence of sexual temptation and sin. It is to damage you from the gift of the Holy Spirit. It, in a little bit, we're going to go to the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is incredible. It shows us so many beautiful things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can dwell with us or He is to dwell in you. And that's why Jesus was saying in the 14th chapter, guys, it's better if I leave you because I'm going to send a helper to you, the Holy Spirit to come to you. I'm jumping way ahead of my text. Sorry, you're going to have a hard time keeping up. But the essence and the gift of the Holy Spirit is the reason. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read some incredibly insightful language to the essence of what I'm trying to say here. Jesus paid the price, forgave us of sins, redeems us, gives us the Holy Spirit. We are now empowered. Remember what happened in, in the book of Acts? Jesus is saying, hey, don't go do ministry. Don't go proclaim anything. You wait until you are empowered. And so they did. They sat there and waited. And then we see it in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. The problem, the sexual immorality of any kind, is that it grieves and it hurts and it quenches the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to where it's no longer indwelling. It's simply dwelling. And I, and, and I can't really describe in or out, and it doesn't matter. Don't try to figure out how that all works. It simply says this. It harms the work and flow of the Holy Spirit to where you are now trying to be the good Christian in and of yourself. I get very frustrated when people say, oh, I wish I could read the Bible more. I wish I could pray more. Oh, I wish I could just have patience. I wish I could have self-control. And it's like, dude, just surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's what he's about. The Holy Spirit doesn't go like, oh, I wish I would read more. The Holy Spirit is like, I love the Word of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't go like, ah, oh, I don't really want to talk to Jesus today. The Holy Spirit says, let's fellowship with the Father. The Holy Spirit says, let's worship the Father. The Holy Spirit says, I have plenty of patience. I have a struggle with surrendering and allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell. So we struggle to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to remodel or reform you and your flesh. We're trying to get you to die to self, surrender to the indwelling work of the presence of God, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, and the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us in the same capacity. It's a beautiful thing. But Satan's greatest strategy to the American church is this. Let me deceive them and get them to buy in to sexual immorality. Let them watch movies, listen to music. Let them be, ah, it's okay, I didn't cross the line. You see, if we buy in to that kind of thinking, remember, truth sets free, lies bring bondage. And when we allow that kind of mind, that kind of thinking into our head, we shove out, we push out. Let's, let's look at the text, because I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself before we read the text. So let's read the rest of the text. I'm going to jump in at verse 12, in case you're following. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 
all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here was kind of the thinking of the time. And so Paul is addressing that thought where, hey, I live by grace. I can do whatever I want to do. And Paul's like, yes, that's true. You are not under the law, but there's consequences. You, You shouldn't be dominated by anything. You shouldn't have anything control you or dictate to you. You should not have that kind of, something should not have that kind of power or authority over you. We're doing Rooted, and my wife and I are being really blessed with being a part of a group of Rooted. It's really fun. And, and so we just did session, uh, whatever it was, where we had to fast and pray. Three, prayer. And so we fasted, and the whole essence of giving up. And quite frankly, giving up social media for some of us is a big deal. We'd rather not eat for weeks and weeks on end as long as we can have our social media. But to give that up, and this is the thing, being dominated. What is it you say, well, I can't do without that? Many, it's coffee. It's like, oh, I can't start my day without coffee. Hmm, can you start the day without Jesus? Oh, yeah, but I can't start the day without coffee. Okay, I'm stepping on toes. Let's go to the text. <laughs> Verse 13, sixth chapter, First Corinthians says, Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is, meant, is, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord up and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her. As it is written, two shall become one flesh. Remember that? Pastor Kerry talked about that last week. It's right out, of, right out of Genesis chapter 1. The two will become one and leave mother and father. Go be what? Married. It's talking about the sexual union between husband and wife. And he's saying, do you not know that if you have relations with a prostitute, you are one with her? Now, why is that significant? The significance follows in the coming text. Chapter 6. Let's start with verse 18 is where we left off. Flee sexual immorality. Boy, I really said that with quite a bit of excitement, didn't I? Flee sexual immorality. Is that better? If you have your Bible, circle the next three words. I know NIV probably has a little bit different. Listen carefully. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There it is. Pornography, sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality. We could go through the whole list of sexual perversions. None are different. All have the same goal. It is to harm you from having the full relationship with the Father through the Son by being empowered with His Holy Spirit. All other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality is a sin against your body. Why would that matter? Let's keep reading. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So 
glorify God in your body. You've got to be kidding. That clock just really... uh, Were you moving the hands? Okay. We can get through this. When I do premarital counseling, they're just stuck with me until I say we're done. The essence of what is happening here and what the Holy Spirit is revealing and why this is such a mystery and a secret, I wish somebody would have explained that. Now, like Pastor Kerry, the Lord spared me and protected me, and I, I married as a virgin, and, but pornography removes that excuse. The slide of Matthew 5 is the text where if we were to take the time to go there, that that text tells us don't even look at another person. You've already committed adultery if you commit yourself to looking to such a thing. If, If the word adultery is there, it means there's this oneness. Now, I can promise you out of experience that there is demonic bondage that happens even through pornography. And here's what I'm saying about one. When we become one flesh, this is the gift of God. God gave this that a husband and wife come together and be one flesh. Why? Because now there is a sharing of thoughts and emotions and feelings. And there is a a, a unitedness that happens in a spiritual sense that you and I can't see. The soul comes connected. And when we begin to unite ourselves, whether it's through pornography or something else, we become united with all their perversion, with all the other things that they have. If you ever have relations with another person who had a relation with another person who had you don't know how many ties that ties you back. And it's this great big spider web is how I see it. Satan creating this spider web so he can go and move freely to and from people because they have given themselves over. Now they are one. I've seen this repeatedly in students. They're students that are on fire for Jesus and they go off to college and they have relations and all of a sudden their faith is out the window. They don't care. They could care less. In fact, they question whether God even exists. Why? Because they became one with somebody who already had that issue in their head and they didn't own their faith and they pushed out the Holy Spirit's ministry and they closed their ears. They refused to be repentant because this is what I was been robbed from. I have been lied to, and, and they buy into that, and it harms the work of the Holy Spirit, and they never have it. Now, now they're just concluding, oh, they're, they're right. God's a joke. It's an incredible strategy on behalf of the enemy to get us to buy into. If he can have relationship with one person who had a relationship with another person, what if that person had relationship with five other people? Think of the bondage that comes to you. It's huge. Let's just... Let's just for a moment just assume that one of them had a demonic issue. Because of the sexual relationship, you become one with them. That demonic has the right to come torment you. Isn't that awful? What a strategy to kill the church. What a strategy to push off, to grieve, to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Now all we do is we go forth and we do our very best effort to walk and love and live for Jesus and read the Word purely out of academics of trying to understand it, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit there to give us insight, to bring to our remembrances, pushed out because we insist that we have the right to live the way we want to live. God's grace covers it. Good news, y'all. In the beginning, 35 years ago, as a couple would sit across my desk, I would really ask them where they were at. Now I've concluded that everybody that sits across the desk from me 
has gone there. So I don't even ask. I just say, look, you, you can't take that into the marriage. You, you, you've got to clean that up. And here's, here's the beautiful, redemptive work of Christ. That's where it comes in from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's a powerful passage. You have a slide for me? Thanks. We'll go to that next one. John 14, because, John 14 is a really good one. Make sure you go there. It talks all about the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who will bring to our remembrance and teach us all things. You see, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you really aren't going to learn much, and you're not going to have the Holy Spirit bring to your remembrance. You're going to really struggle with your faith because it all rests on your capacity and your skill and, and your cognitive ability. In fact, I'll, I'll just mention this. In Matthew chapter 7, there were those who were preaching and teaching and casting out demons, and they were doing miracles in Jesus' name. And Jesus saying, I, I don't even know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I'm like, oh, didn't, oh, don't you see the works? You see, it's not about the works of the person that demonstrates what's inside them because the Word of God is living and active and powerful. The Word of God is faithful no matter who speaks it. Do not judge what happens based on what somebody says or does or the fruit of it. That's why Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruit. You will know them if you're my disciples. If you... Thank you, Melissa. Love. I know Melissa's listening. If you need notes, ask her. Love. They're going to know you are my disciples because you love one another. So in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, this is just a beautiful text. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful to know that he has done this. And so what I want to emphasize to you is that you're not stuck whether someone took advantage of you or whether you made the choice to cross that line in order to be loved or to demonstrate you love, how whatever, whatever deceit was done and you became one with some other, you need to break that tie. I'll tell you a couple of really quick stories and then I want to wrap up with verse 20 of, 1 Corinthians, of Colossians 1. I'll tell you one male story and one female story. I'll start with the male story. He and his wife, faithful to serve, faithful to love, faithful in church. But they both were struggling with a secret sin of homosexuality. They had three daughters of their own, but they both wrestled with this. I met with the wife first, ended up walking her through a deliverance, getting rid of the demonic bondage that came through that because she was abused. It was a lineage thing. It had come down through the lineage and followed her. The husband had been molested as a child and struggled. Never acted out, but it was always present. I want to tell you a little bit, just, just briefly, about his story. Because when we went, and we, you know, truth sets free, lies bring bondage. And when we went to, before Jesus and we hacked it out on transformational prayer, Jesus showed up. Remember, God is a God of eternity. He's not a God stuck on a timeline. The lie that will often keep us in bondage is that, well, that was in the past. I've moved on. I don't want to go back there. And that's what keeps that lie sealed because the God of all time, who doesn't even keep track of time, that was given to us who, are, who do have a beginning but not an end. We'll spend eternity with him. He, he can go back in that time, and he brought health and wholeness and healing to this man who had been wounded as a little boy and Jesus, as Father, stepped in to that moment of time and healed him and restored him. 
it's an incredibly beautiful and intimate moment when I'm sitting there with someone who, who encounters the person of Jesus. Remember John chapter 8 and verse 36, that the Son sets you free, you're truly set free indeed. Let me tell you briefly about a woman who was a young gal, grew up within a Christian home and a Christian family, a Christian church, gave her life early to Jesus, except she had some cousins that molested her for three years. I remember doing the marriage counseling between she and her husband-to-be, and they got married. I did the, performed the wedding, and about a year after they were married, they called me up because I say this to all the people I'm marrying. I said, if you ever have issues, come call us. Tammy and I will be glad to sit with you, and they did. They called, and they came over, and they're sitting there, and they're struggling on how to tell me. I'm like, y'all just put it out there. She, and so the husband started. I, she won't let me touch her. I can't get near her. She cringes and grieves, and she just changes. <clears throat> She acknowledged that. She said, yes, it's true. I don't know why. I know that I should, we should have this beautiful relationship. I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. But if he gets near me, I just, I don't want anything to do with him. I love him dearly, but there's some, I just can't. And then she acknowledged that she had never told anybody but her husband that she had been molested for three years by a cousin. So we went into transformational prayer, and through that process, the Lord revealed seven demonic spirits that came through that molesting her. And in the end, Jesus came, and he breathed life into her, healed her, restored her. Remember, this was a secret probably for about 24 or 5 years, probably about her age at that point. It was shortly on that where she came to me and said, Pastor, i, I got to tell the church. Remember, she didn't want to tell anybody. Pastor, i got to tell the church, I'm changed, I'm freed, I'm delivered. It was a beautiful morning where she testified to the people about the power of God, the redemptive work, the blood of the Lamb who restores, redeems, renews, who cuts the soul tie. That's the point I want you to hear here. When you become one with another person, they are forever bound to you until you make a choice to cut it off in Jesus' name and by His blood and allow Him to redeem and restore your oneness in Christ. Verse 19 of the first of Colossians. There is no first Colossians. I guess this one is the first. For in him, meaning of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body the flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Did y'all hear that? There's nothing you can do than surrender. And when you surrender the blood of Christ, he's planned it out. He's so, he's, he's fully aware. He restores, he renews, he declares all that's cleansed. You are clean in him. You're reconciled to the Father by His blood, and you get a new beginning. You get to hit the reset button. You have cut off all the offense that against you and all the offense that perhaps you've done to others, and now it's you and Jesus. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head. You need to have a little chit-chat with Jesus. Don't do it out loud. I don't want you to be a distraction. But there's a confession that's important. It's an acknowledgement that you have not embraced the teaching of the Lord to be sanctified. 
like a dirty toothbrush. He can't use you unless his blood cleanses you and you simply in your mind you're saying well Lord Jesus forgive me I have looked at pornography I have done this or done that this is you and Jesus this isn't for others repentance means that you're going to change the habits that put you there you will no longer do the things that led you to a lifestyle and to decisions that caused you to be sexually immoral. And so now, this last step, with open hands, you invite the Holy Spirit. You die to self. The prayer would go something like this, and it's based out of Romans 8, 13. Oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death in me all the desire for sin. Holy Spirit, put in my heart a hunger for you, a passion for you. Put in my heart a mind to know your word, to be in a posture, in a position of prayer at all times. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Let me pray for us. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I am so grateful that you redeem us and restore us. You don't leave us in a place of brokenness. Your word clearly tells us that you want us to be separated, sanctified. You want the Holy Spirit to empower us. You long for the Holy Spirit to live not just among us, but in us. May your will be done here on earth in us in me as it is in heaven. Amen. I'm very mindful, as David shared, and thank you so much, David, for pouring out your heart, being transparent, not only about your own life, but transparent about what you've learned as a pastor and working with people through many years. And maybe that's a difficult word or a word that you might react to today, not fully having an understanding, but maybe not fully being willing to believe in it. The thing related to soul ties and the strongholds that can come. But it's true. And I'm mindful that uh, the prayer you just led us through is an important first step. If you would like to be able to continue um, to maybe journey with someone, whether it's in this subject area or another area that you're experiencing the adversary that has tied you back, Seek out another person to just pray with you and be on the journey with. Here this morning, there's a prayer area up here uh, to the right of the stage that uh, you can meet with someone to be able to pray about any particular need that you would have, not necessarily even in this subject matter today. But uh, we want to be able to pray for one another. We don't want you to be alone on your journey of what God's walking you through. 
And so I encourage you to do that. If you're watching online, you can email just pray at theawakening.church. And we'll be glad to be able to build a relationship with you to be able to pray. And um, I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd take their places to be able to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as we close. On the back of your Connect card is a place to mark, I'm interested in spiritual growth. Or maybe you can just list out your prayer need there. That's another way for us to be able to be in touch with you, to be able to support um, you and your maybe has the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and um, whether you give offering online or in the baskets thanks guys I want to um, have you pray for us as a body and pray for me this week I um, talked to a few people about it In this series, Money, Sex, and Power, Sacred Gifts, or Toxic Idols, I've sensed something that um, we've gone to, and it's, it's in this series we've gone to some of the spiritual realm and some of the spiritual stronghold stuff that's behind just these as popular subjects. And I really want to move on to the third one, to the whole thing of power and controlling things, and that's something that I think is um, pretty important for us to speak to. Uh, But I don't think I can move on there next week. I think there's one more talk on this area of sexuality that we need to share together as family. You see it happening in our culture, and it breaks my heart because it's not out there. It's amongst us because we're just all real families and real human beings and have real friends. But I think the Lord would have me to speak on sexual identity and gender identity issues next week. There's an awful lot of sexual confusion, gender confusion. And I believe not only is it challenging for us because we want to live as God intends us to live, called us to live, but we want to love one another and we want to be supportive and encouraging of one another. And there's a lot of journeys that a lot of people are on, some of you on journeys maybe even this very room. And I think God wants us to address these issues of sexual identity and gender identity, confusion, whatever you want to refer to it as. But... um, I think where you went today, David, is right with some of the things of the adversary's work is to keep us from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And um, it's not only just the awkwardness of the sexual and gender confusion issues of today, it's, it's that there's people being kept from all that God wants for us to have. In this church, as well as any evangelical church, we need to be able to address the matters and have understanding, to understand scripture, to be able to dialogue, to encourage one another, to encourage others, and not shrink back from these kinds of subjects. And so last week's subject of God and sex front on, this week's subject of God restoring um, 
the gift of sex and sexuality. And next week, we'll, we'll keep it just at one more week, I promise. Sometimes I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of skittish attendance because of such a difficult subject. But um, the church needs to be addressing this. So will you pray for me? Pray for us as a church. Come next week and let's dig into God's word on these matters that uh, are front and center in our culture and in our school systems. And um, let's see what God can do because I think the adversary doesn't want us to go there. Will you stand with me? Receive this blessing now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine in our life and through his church. May the power and the glory go to him as we move forward this week to live sanctified lives, holy, set apart unto him for his glory. May the Spirit of God himself go with you. God bless. See you next week.